You think you have life figured out? I never feel like I got life figured out. Men have to figure out what they have to do. If you really have an obsession to figure it out, you will figure it out. Figure out who you are, don't apologize for who you are, and then become even greater than you naturally are at what you are. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 11 of the Fit Foe Podcast. Today's guest is an entrepreneur that turned his college graduation surf trip and the final $100 in his pocket into a nine-figure business with his best friend, Mr. Paul Goodman. During this episode, we discuss his journey of co-founding Pura Vida, a lifestyle jewelry and accessory brand with his buddy Griffin. We talk about how they bootstrapped the business, their tactics of influencer marketing way before the TikTok and Instagram days, and their clever pricing strategy. We also discuss his current and most important venture, becoming a dad to his baby girl, Romy. Now, quick disclaimer and apologies to Paul. His mic sound quality starts off a little subpar due to my error of not pressing record on Zoom. Another bonehead fit foe moment for your boy, but I did figure it out and I hope you all really enjoy this inspiring conversation with Paul and I. So here we go. All right. Well, Mr. Paul Goodman, my brother, thank you for joining the podcast today. Super pumped for the conversation and it's good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you too. I'm super stoked to be here. Oh, well, I know we were chatting a little bit about this briefly before, but uh, how's dad life treating you? How's little Romy doing? How many months in are you guys? Seven months yesterday. Oh, yesterday. It's been been an awesome journey so far. We're we're super stoked about it. And um, I'd say it's more than I expected in in a good way. Yeah. So what's the milestone? Seven months old. Like, yeah, she's she's sitting up. She's smiling. she said dad dad last week, so that was pretty awesome. First word? First word. Oh, dad, you know? how bitter is Sarah? I know, but it's okay. She, she kind of expected that um, just because, you know, a bunch of her friends have had their, their daughters say dad dad's first word too, so. Yeah, that was the same for us. I was reading that Jimmy Fallon book, like, religiously. I don't know if you, have you ever seen that one? No. It's just the it's the most basic book ever. It's dada. It's like blue with like a cow on front, I think. And like it's basically one side is dada and the other one is the animal sound. So like moo or whatever. And it's like 10 different animals. But I would read that every morning, every night, trying to get her to say dada. And it worked, I will say. Yeah, you got you to put in the work. I know. You have to. That's it. Um, but yeah, dude, it's fun stage of life now, seven months in what's been like the biggest thing for you so far, like adjustment wise, anything in particular that, that pops out? Yeah. I mean, I think just like, there's no more of like kind of, kind of wasting time. You know, I feel like everything needs to be like a little bit more planned out, a little bit more scheduled, um, which I think just takes a little bit of getting used to, you know, now that we have that schedule, we know when she's going to go down for a nap, we know when she eats, like it's so much easier because you can kind of plan your day around that stuff. Um, so once we kind of figured out that it was, it made the whole process a lot easier. Yeah. The sticking to the schedule. So crucial. Is she sleeping by the way? Sleeps through the whole night. So, oh. would, but she has been sleeping through the whole night since like four months. So that's like. A game changer. Incredible, man. So when are you getting her on a surfboard? I think pretty soon. You know? Really? No, no, no. She's got to be able to stand up first. She can't even stand up. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to get her there, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I always see your pictures and your guys' trips. Like, seems like you'll get her on a board pretty quick. 
Yeah, for sure. I can't wait to, to also put her on some skis and, and go put her put a little puppy jacket on her and, and get down the mountain with her. That'd be super fun. Oh, dude, those are some of like my best memories growing up. So can't wait to do that. I haven't done it in so long. I don't take advantage of Tahoe as much as I probably should. You guys go often? Try and do like one trip a year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of it. Cool, man. Well, I definitely want to talk more about that. And uh, I thought a fun topic would be, well, hey, just starting off point. Uh, we go way back a little bit to the SDSU days, although didn't really know each other that well there. Uh, but obviously, I remember meeting you and I think it was through a mutual friend, Nima. Shout out, Nima, you funny motherfucker. I don't know where you're at now in the world. But uh, yeah, that was back in our fraternity days. So and then good old friend Brayden reacquainted us a couple months ago playing Tory Pines, which is great. Uh, uh, but man, what a decade and a half it's been for you since those times, like to now uh, versus back then starting Pura Vida. I thought it'd be a fun story to educate the listeners on and talk about, you know, your journey, how you did that starting back, you know, coming from a, a surf trip, as I understand it, in Costa Rica to now what it's become. So I uh, figured maybe you can give the origin story a little bit. And how did you get to be building Pura Vida? Yeah, I mean, it's been a definitely a wild ride. Um, you know, back in 2010, I graduated San Diego State, and me and a couple of buddies, we decided, hey, let's go on a you know surf trip down to Costa Rica. Um, so we graduated, and this was going to be like our last trip before we came back and got you know like real jobs. Mm. I majored in finance. Um, my best friend Griffin, who majored in marketing, was was on the trip and. Um, while we were down in Costa Rica, we were just backpacking around, kind of trekking from city to city, and we kept seeing these bracelets. And we finally got to one city, and we're like, hey, let's buy one. You know, we could bring some back to our family and friends back home. Um, so I bought a bracelet, you know, didn't think anything of it. And then the next day, I, I kind of looked out at my wrist. I was like, hey, I'm going to buy another one of these bracelets. And they were super simple. It was like nine strings. There was no logo on them. It was just like, really really simple bracelet and i i thought it was like a, a memento i could have to remember this this journey that we we're on um and so that next day i went and bought another one and um we're on the beach that day and me and griff kind of looked at each other and we're like what if we buy a bunch of these bracelets and we'd help these guys who are selling them because they were homeless at the time oh, and we wanted to like help these guys bring some bracelets back share our journey with with our family and friends back home so we approached these two artisans on the beach and we convinced them to make us 400 bracelets. And when we asked for 400 bracelets, they looked at us like we were crazy. Like, you guys want 400 bracelets? So what, what are you gonna do with these? You know? Right. But they were excited about the order. They packed up their little um, their little stand that they had on the beach. And you know, they said, you know, come meet us here in three days. So came back in three days, and they had a, a plastic bag, like a grocery bag, filled with 400 string bracelets. And we were just stoked. We were like, all right, this is like a little project that we could do when we get back home. And so before we left that town, we took these two guys, their names are Jorge and Joaquin. We took them to an internet cafe because they didn't have an email address. And we're like, we're gonna make you an email address and we're gonna email you if we sell all 400 of these bracelets. And they're like, okay, you know, we'll come check the, come check the email and we'll come back to this cafe and, and check it when you guys get back home. So. We came back home and we started selling these bracelets 
and we called them Pura Vida bracelets because Pura Vida in, in Costa Rica is like the slogan. That's what everyone says to say like, hi, bye, mm. like have a good day. It's almost like Aloha in Hawaii. Oh, okay. Uh, so we, we thought, what a fitting name, Pura Vida bracelets. Simple, um, gives a nod back to Costa Rica. And, you know, within two weeks, we had sold all 400 bracelets. That's incredible. And that was kind of the, the start of, of Pura Vida. So how much did it cost for the first 400? It cost us 200 bucks. Okay. Um, so we each put in a hundred bucks. And what's funny about that is like, that was my last like real money I had for the trip. So I was like kind of hesitant and Gert's like, no, like just do it. Like, it's all good. Like I'll spot you money if you need money. Like we'll figure it out. And you know, I'm just graduated college. I'm like literally broke college students. So this was like a big risk, you know, a hundred bucks. Right. And That's a lot that of money. First order. Especially in 2010, man, when we were coming out, it's not like there was a, a ton of jobs in the marketplace. We were coming out of the recession. So, yeah, 100 bucks can feel like, you know, an enormous amount. Yeah. Okay, I got to know, you and Griffin buy the bracelets, but you weren't the only people on the surf trip, right? Yeah, we, we weren't. There was two other guys. Um, you know, one, one of them didn't really want anything to do with it, um, just, like, wasn't interested. And, um, you know, one of the other guys you know, wanted to participate, but we just like figured it was just kind of our idea and it was just like us too. And we didn't need like extra money or extra, you know, people. So yeah, I don't know. It just kind of worked out. Yeah. Way. I bet they're kicking themselves for not getting, putting up a hundred bucks like you guys did. But, uh, that's so cool, man, to see like you guys go on this trip, you come back with 400. Now, how do you start selling them? Yeah. So in the beginning, um, Griffin's mom was actually a buyer for a super trendy boutique in Malibu called Planet Blue. Oh. Um, so we're like, Hey, what if you put some of these bracelets in your store? And so she put a, a little bowl out with the bracelets. There was no like fancy display or anything. She just wrote on a piece of paper, like Pura Vida bracelets, $5 and put them in her, put them in her store. And within yeah, a week she called us and she's like, Hey, I sold all the bracelets. I have a bunch of cash for you guys here that I need to give to you. But I need more bracelets like people want more and that was kind of like our first like oh my god like we need to we need to get more bracelets and that's when we emailed the guys back in costa rica you know asking them for more so how did that go like waiting in the wings to hear back and email these guys that you just set them up on an internet cafe like you got to think they might not call you back or respond right oh a hundred percent hundred percent i was like there's no way these these random guys who we just met in costa rica are gonna one, go to the internet cafe and check their email. Mm. Two, they're going to send us bracelets. And three, if we send them money, are they just going to disappear? So that was like, you know, going through our heads. It's like these random guys were going to send them money to order more bracelets, you know? Yeah, especially, I mean, it's different when you're picking it up there, like, you know, person to person, the interaction, but, you know, just mailing it to them and hoping that they send it back to you. That was got to be a, you know, kind of nerve wracking. Yeah, so our, our next order was a thousand bracelets. Mm. Um, so we're like, okay, we're gonna order a thousand. We had Griffin and I were living together at the time, um, oh, cool. so we we're roommates. So our office was Griffin's room downstairs in our house that we we're living in, and we had this this little jar. It was probably like two feet tall, and that was basically our inventory. When we would order a thousand bracelets, we would dump all the bracelets into that jar, and then once we would sell it like halfway. Then we'd be like, okay, we need to order more, and that was that was like our really simple way of managing our inventory. Very efficient. Uh, 
So <laughs> what are you doing to start like your income at that point? Like, are you all in a Pura Vida from the get? Or like, how long were you doing, you know, a finance job if you came out with the, that degree at SDSU? Or what were you doing for income? Yeah, so I was, um, I still didn't know, I still didn't like think Pura Vida was going to be like a full-time mm. job. So I was, at the same time, I was valeting cars um, just to make like cash to pay for my rent. And then I was also going on like job interviews for, for finance jobs. Um, and I remember being in those interviews and I would like, you know, get dressed up, suit and tie. I'd be driving to LA, I'd be going to them in Del Mar. And I would just be in that interview and the whole time I'd be thinking about Pura Vida. Mm-hmm. And I vividly remember walking out of the interview um, and I was like, I'm not going on another interview. I'm just gonna figure out Pura Vida. And that was probably like six to seven months in. Okay. And then it got to a point when I was valeting cars that I'd be leaving to go valet cars at like four or five o'clock and I would still want to like have work to do to, for Pura Vida. Mm. Then it got to a point where I was like, all right, I just need to quit this valet job and just, just focus on Pura Vida full time. Where were you valeting cars at? Uh, it was a restaurant in Mission Beach called Saskas. It was oh. like a, a, steak, a steakhouse in Mission Beach. And I mean, it was it was fun. Like I, I did it with a couple buddies. Um, I actually think I like, got fired because I didn't show up to a New Year's Eve shift. Uh-huh. So I, I ended up getting fired and that was the same time when I was like, I don't need the valet job anyway. So right. it was probably a bad luck on my part. I was wondering if you like now ever go back to that place and like have your celebratory dinners at that. Like that's where you got it started. Yeah. I think it actually went out of business. So oh, no. yeah. RIP. R.I.P. for sure. Still a special place for you. So now you're all right, all in. You're like, I'm doing this full time. You guys are starting to, you know, pick up sales. I think you guys have a pretty cool story of how you started to acquire customers. You know, maybe it was like influencer marketing before it was influencer marketing back in the day. Yeah. But what was your approach? Yeah, so this was like 2010, 2011. And, you know, it's hard to imagine TikTok not being around or Snapchat not being around or even Instagram not being around. And this was like the early days of, of Facebook. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you remember when there was like fan pages. And like yeah. the fan page was like everything. You know, it's like how many followers can you get on your fan page? And so we decided, why don't we just walk around San Diego State? That's where we just graduated. We'll give out free bracelets. And in return, we'll have people go onto our fan page and, and follow us. Hmm. And this was even before like Facebook ads. So any anytime you got a follower on your fan page and you posted, every follower would see that post. So uh, organic when we reach. Go on Mondays, it was sorority like that was when they had all their meetings. The walk arounds. The walk arounds. So we would knock on the sorority's door, we'd say, hey, we want to give some bracelets out to your whole sorority. Um, we just want to tell you guys about Pura Vida. And so we'd walk up, we would get in front of the whole sorority, we would tell them the full story about Pura Vida, what the, the bracelets mean, how they're helping these people in Costa Rica. And then at the end of the meeting, we would um, give out bracelets to every single sorority girl. And so that was Monday. And then Tuesday, we would wake up and we would have like thousands of new followers on our, on our fan page. And then, so then when we would post on the fan page, it would drive customers back to the website. And that was kind of like our first foray into like, okay, the more people that know about Pure Vita, the more people that are going to talk about it, the more people are going to come to our website. And that just kind of, you know, spawned basically doing that every week. Um, we were then going to SDSU, UCSD, mm. you know, driving all around San Diego, LA, going to colleges. And that was kind of like our, our first intro to influencer marketing. Wow. So 
from there, like, did you start doing, you know, I think of like Rockstar back in the day or, or SWAT and they would have, you know, the reps going from campus to campus. Do you guys start to expand it that way or how did you guys, you know, continue to get the reach past, you know, the San Diego geography that you were in? Yeah. So we, um, we developed the campus rep program. Mm. So like how can we, how can we basically replicate ourselves across the U S um, cause we couldn't spend time flying to each city, to each big college. So we kind of targeted the, the biggest colleges we could think of, the ones with the most students, the most reach. So like Arizona State, U of A, mm. Texas. Um, and we would find people that we felt like were influencers on Facebook that went to those colleges just by, by searching the sororities there. We would hit them up on, on Facebook and say, hey, you look like a great brand ambassador for Pura Vida. Would you want to help spread the message and spread the movement? Um, and the way it worked is we would send them 25 free bracelets, a bunch of stickers, and their job was basically to go give out those bracelets for free, just around their campus, just go give them out. And in return, they could give customers a referral code that gave them a discount. And then that rep in turn would earn commission. So basically the, the people that were giving the bracelets to would get 20% off and the reps would get a 10% commission. And nice. so we, just, we quickly scaled this program and we were sending out thousands of bracelets a week just to different reps in different cities. And that's really what, what grew us like across the country really quickly. Um, and it just really drove that Facebook fan page, which then in turn drove customers back to our website. So how much did the bracelets cost at this point? They were 40 cent or 50 cents each bracelet, um, plus like shipping, plus packaging. So. You know, we were paying for that, but that was, I think, the benefit of Pure Vita is like mm. we could send out thousands of them, and that was like our marketing expense right. in the beginning. You know, a clothing brand or shoes, you can't do that, and that's what like we didn't develop it or like you know plan it that way. I think that was like us being naive, just like falling into it. Um, but that's supercharged the business in the beginning. And how much were you selling them for? So the way we picked the price, so this is 2010, this is pretty ridiculous. Um, at that time, the, the $5 foot long was like super popular. <laughs> the $5 we're like, foot long. We're like, everyone knows just like five bucks. So we're like, all right, five bucks. That's, that's what it is. That's, that's literally, oh my gosh. Dude. That's our elaborate pricing strategy. I love all of this, like $5 footlongs, you know, just how you decided to go around walk arounds. It's like everything we did in college, you know, we lived off of $5 footlongs. Every Monday was going, you know, sorority house when we were in the fraternity days and you turned it into like, not just a business, but a super profitable one. That's incredible, man. I mean, yeah, we just like, we really utilized like our, our network yeah. and utilize like what was in front of us. Like we didn't have any cash to hire people. We didn't have any like real money to spend on marketing. So I think it forced us to be creative in how we're going to market the brand and, and really like go back to what we knew. So how, as you think, you know, about scaling the business, right? Like you've started to understand, okay, this is the thing, right? You've, I like to call it the fitfo moment for the podcast, right? But you know, you've had that moment where you realize we've got something here. Like this is an actual business. How did you think about now, you know, going from, you know, a San Diego based company nationally? And did you have any mentors that maybe helped you like scale the business at that point? Yeah, I mean, we didn't really have any like business mentors who were helping us scale the business. Mm -hmm. I think um, that was just really like a skill set that Griff and I had. Like we, we did every job in the beginning, like 
I was packaging every single bracelet. He was building the website. And basically when we got to doing that same task all day, that's when I'm like, okay, we need to hire someone to do to outsource this position so we can go mm-hmm. focus on something else. And that was like in the beginning, and even today, like how we, we've built the business. Um, in terms of like mentors, we, we had like a business mentor who mostly helped us on like the family side and how to deal with stress and how to mentally kind of help you um, mm. throughout business, but no one really like showing us the way on how to scale the business. Which makes it even more impressive. So what did you learn though from the mental aspect? Because that's honestly, I think probably the hardest part, why most people don't take the leap of faith like you've done uh, to be an entrepreneur. Like any advice for any budding entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, it, it is stressful and that's like the stress of like owning your own business or being an entrepreneur and starting. But I think you gotta think of the flip side, like that challenge is what pushed us forward as opposed to just working, you know, nine to five job and, and working for someone else. I think we really thrived on that challenge and that stress pushed me forward um, mm. and just like taking a step back and really enjoying the, the process and the journey. Yeah. Were you dating your wife at that time yet? Or like, when did she come into the picture? So I actually knew my wife in high school. Oh. Um, we didn't date, didn't date in high school. Um, but yeah, I think it was probably a couple years, a couple years, probably two years into the business. Mm. Um, that we started like talking. She was living in Boston. I was living in San Diego. Um, and I was in New York for a trade show. And I was like, all right, I'll come to Boston and visit you. So I went to Boston. I literally get off the plane and there's like howling wind, rain going sideways. And it was, um, I think it was Hurricane Sandy, mm-hmm. like some, some crazy hurricane. And so we were stuck inside for literally five days. Um, and basically on that trip, I, I had a blast and I was like, this is, this is the one I, I know it is. So, um, oh. she ended up moving out to San Diego a couple of years, like a year later, got a job out in San Diego and that was kind of it. So cool to hear, man. And I bet like having that support system, right? Like that significant other that can go through this journey along with you. Cause you know, it's not just your mentality. It's like also her mental makeup of probably going through the grind and the stresses of building a business too. Yeah, for sure. Um, and she always worked at like bigger companies. So I feel like I got that insight of like, mm. you know, how a bigger company runs more of like the people side of it. Um, and some of that, that insight was super helpful. So what do you think, like any big business decision that you made that really just had like a total outsized ROI, like anything that comes to mind? Yeah. So like this was probably 2013, um, we were in Las Vegas for a trade show. And I think we went out to like a club that night and, you know, we're, we're like 23 at the time, 24. And we're out, out at a club and we start talking to these, um, these girls. And one of the girls was like, oh, like, what do you guys do? And told her that we work for Pura Vida. And she was like, oh, well, you know, I can make you guys a lot of money. And we're just, I'm like, how? Like, what? Yeah. Like, oh, I do, I do PR for this girl named Lauren Conrad. Oh. And at the time she was like a big reality TV star. Yeah, I remember and the name. She's like, yeah, she would love to like support the brand. And I'm like, okay, like when I get back to San Diego, like let's let's meet up and let's talk about this. And basically she pitched us on on paying Lauren Conrad to post on her on her blog and her Twitter and her Facebook. And the post was gonna be seven thousand dollars. And wow. I think at the time we probably had like fifty grand in our bank account. You know, we were like still super like small. 
And we're like, damn, like, could this work? Like, should we just do it? So we did it and just took the risk. And she posted on all three channels. And that day we did like 35 grand in sales in one day. It was our, our highest ever, most traffic on the website. We sold out and we were just like, oh my God, like we got to double down on this. Yeah. And so that was like, that was basically like a, a step up from the sororities. You know, right. we, we built we built upon like the kind of influencer model before influencers were a thing. And we built and like doubled down on that. And so we ended up signing like a, a year agreement with her where she would post every single month about Pura Vida. Um, and that just really, really, you know, built the brand that year. Wow, 7,000 to 35, like in a day. Man. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. So Griffin would always like, because he handled all like the social media, mm. he would find like a typo or like some error that she did or she posted at the wrong time. And he would hit up the manager and be like, hey, she needs to post again. Like this, this didn't work or like this wasn't what we expected. And then so she would then post again like the next day or like fix the post. So we'd get two posts and it was like the biggest, the biggest hack we've ever done. Wow. So yeah. then if you guys are doing it monthly, like, is it a retainer? Like how much you got to pay her? And I guess my second thought is how much do you think that would cost now? Yeah. So I think we signed a, we signed a one year deal and it was like 115 K. Mm. <clears throat> so that was like a, you know, the biggest contract we've ever signed. Right. They were like, you know, this, this could work. This could not like the first couple ones worked, but we never know. And yeah, I mean, soon enough, like, the first couple like did really well and then it slowly started to tail off you know like people have seen it people it's not as like organic anymore on like when she's posting the eighth time people start to realize like okay like do you really love this brand or are they paying you you know right um in terms of now i you know wouldn't be affordable you wouldn't make money you know i think the the whole influencer kind of model has just been blown up by so many people jumping on it so now, because you guys still, I'm sure, are using influencers, but it's probably shift gears. Like you don't have to pay as much for them to come to you. I'm sure they probably want to, you know, be a part of the Pure Vita lifestyle. Is that kind of how it's worked? Yeah, I think it's like a give, a give or take. You know, we, we also focus a lot on like micro influencers now and just people who look like normal people instead of like these big celebs. Mm. Uh, it's I think it's a little bit more real and authentic yeah. as opposed to uh, these like big celebs who. I think when a customer sees that, they know that they're being paid to, to promote the brand. I get it. What about going to like the inventory stage? Uh, you know, you talk about, you know, ordering thousands of bracelets and I don't know, I guess I think, could you have done it elsewhere? A, like not just done the Costa Rica. Are you still at Jorge and Joaquin today? And like, did you guys ever debate, you know, taking it to China or somewhere else? Yeah, we never, we never debated going to China. I think we just felt so loyal to Jorge and Joaquin. Mm. Um, and we built such a bond with them from the beginning that we never were like, oh, we need to save more money or we need to outsource this somewhere else. Um, it was always just like such a good relationship. And, you know, we never even had like a formal agreement until recently. It was just like a handshake and this, this trust between us two. So that was from the start, just that, that understanding that we were always gonna help Jorge and Joaquin. Did yeah. you ever worry or did the quality ever change? Like, you know, as you go through this, I'm sure obviously they're seeing the benefits of making sure they deliver, but was there ever a batch that you're like, yeah, this isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like we were at the same time as we were like scaling our business, you know, we were helping them and they were scaling their business. You know, I've got to remember when we met them, they were just living on the beach, selling bracelets as tourists walked by. So we had to kind of like grow them as we grew. So the inventory was always a challenge in the beginning. And it took us years to figure that out of like, how much do we need? How much do we not need? Um, the quality, like, you know, when we first got them, they would send us a box just with bracelets dumped into them, not sorted, not counted. So we had to like put it, put all those processes in place. Like, Hey, when you send us bracelets, they need to be in bags of a hundred. They need to be labeled. They need to be sorted by color. So we needed to put all of that like manufacturing capability into their business. Um, whereas I feel like if you would have went to like a normal manufacturer, you wouldn't have had to do any of that. You know, they would have had those processes set up. But it's got to feel so much more rewarding to like help these guys build that too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why we never wanted to go somewhere else. I, I truly enjoyed working with the guys. And yeah, we still work, we still work with them today. How big is their operation now down there? It fluctuates, but yeah, they have right around like 500 to 600 artisans that they fully support with full-time jobs. Um, they have like a full manufacturing facility that everyone comes to. It's it's pretty pretty awesome to see the, the growth that they've had as well. I can only imagine what you guys have done for that town too. Like the economy, the you know people that are living there. Obviously, you know for Jorge and Joaquin, like life changing to have the interaction what it's become. But do you guys go back there often, or do you ever bring Jorge and Joaquin up to San Diego for a surf trip? Yeah, we, I go like probably once a year. Um, so since since like we've kind of scaled the business, they've moved a bunch of the facilities over to El Salvador actually. Mm. So um, just easier manufacturing for them. And um, they kind of approached us and like, hey, we really want to move to El Salvador and it's better for our business. So, you know, all good. But yeah, they're still supporting artisans and um, it's really awesome to see. Nice. Anything you miss about those early days as you started to build the business or I guess also advice for anybody that's going through those, you know, early struggles? Yeah, I was talking to someone about this the other day. It's like those early days are they're so stressful that it's hard to kind of remove yourself from the business and realize like what you're working on and how fun it is. Um, but looking back, yeah, those those early days were awesome. You just you're so naive to like what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um that a lot of it is just like really, really fun. And um, it's less like stressful as, as it is today where you, you're trying to like hit numbers and grow and all of that, so. Yeah, now that you've got a board to probably answer to, things change a little bit. Yeah. How did you guys decide who's gonna run it? So, you know, or the roles? Like I know you guys both had your strengths and you talked about him building the website and the marketing and you being the finance guy, but how do you choose who's CEO at the early days? Yeah, the, C- the CEO is another funny one. Um, we were leaving San Diego State one day after we had talked to the sororities and um, my dad actually helped us set up like all of our you know formal paperwork and legal documents. And he was like, you need to pick a CEO. Like we need to put it on the on the paperwork. And so we're like, all right, what, what do we do? And so we just, we flipped a coin, <laughs> flipped a coin and I lost. Oh. So he was CEO and I was CFO and I don't know. Titles never really meant anything to us. So we were just like, all right, all, all good. You know, see, that's good to hear that. You no, know, there was an ego involved. It was all right, coin flip. Let's let it be fate. And we'll go from there. 
did that ever cause anything like from the co-founder relationship that you guys had later on? Or, I mean, I know you guys are still great friends now, so it doesn't appear to, but I'm sure there was tension along the way. Yeah. I mean, never really around like the CEO topic. I think mm. it really helped that Griffin was great at marketing and I was good at like finance and operations. And so we always like stayed in our own lanes and knew what each other was good at and our strengths and weaknesses. So I think that was really fortunate um, from the start that we had that separation of like responsibilities and yeah, it made it super easy to, to run the business. And as you think about co-founders, like maybe not for you guys, cause you guys were friends before, but now that you've bought on, brought on partners or maybe people that have been, you know, influential in the business, how do you approach, you know, hiring? And I guess it, how do you make sure that they're right for Pure Vita? I'm sure there's learning lessons along the way. Culture is a huge thing for us. Um, they need to be good at their job, but they also need to fit into the, the pyramid culture and get along with everyone. And I think we've, you know, encountered a fair share of difficulties there. You know, we've had employees where we had to let them go because they didn't fit the culture or because they were not getting along with other employees. So at the end of the day, we want all of our employees to come to work and be excited to be there. You know, I, I don't want someone sitting at their desk and be angry or upset with other people or not be able to get along with other employees. So that's always been like a, you know, kind of like the backbone of Pure Vita. Like come to work, it's fun. If you're not enjoying yourself, then maybe this isn't the right place for you. Yeah. Well, it's about the people that you probably hire and making it fun for the you know, individuals that are surrounding yourselves. I've seen you guys' office, the pictures on LinkedIn and whatnot. It looks incredible. Yeah, yeah we have a fun time. Yeah. Now, how about the expansion? Like now you guys got these, you know, actual going from like pop-up shops and trade shows to actually having, you know, some retail estates. Like how's that been? Retail has been awesome. I mean, it's really, it's really cool to see customers actually come in and touch and feel the product and be excited and have like a smile on their face as they're walking out with a, with a bracelet or um, whatever they're buying that day you know, selling online, you don't get that experience and you don't really get to see the customers. So we opened our first retail store at UTC here in La Jolla about a year ago. And it's just been a huge success. You know, being able to have that physical presence is huge for the brand. And, you know, we see traffic increase in every location that we've opened a, a retail store. So I think that's part of the future of, of Pura Vida is having these retail stores. How do you guys choose it? Is it based off of like how you know the sales are online, or is it more like here's where we don't have sales? Let's maybe put a location there to help drive revenue. Yeah, the first the first couple of them, we've just looked at the best selling zip codes online, hmm. um, and that's where we put the the retail stores. So you know we have one in San Diego, we have one in Santan, which is Arizona, um, we have one in Myrtle Beach, Florida. Uh, so those are like the the first three, and then we opened one in Irvine in August, and yeah, so we got four four main stores, and then we have an outlet store in Camarillo. Nice. Yeah. I got to check one out, man. What's which one's your favorite? Do you have one that you like the best, or anyone near and dear to your heart? I mean, UTC is the first one, so I gotta like that's near and dear to my heart, like the first retail store. So um, I'd say that's probably my number one. Have you guys, I know we talked about this before when we were golfing, but 
I think about like, you know, getting into different things now outside of, you know, the traditional bracelets, obviously going to your website, you guys have branched out into a lot of different areas, but is there, you know, the next evolution for Pure Vita? Do you guys want to always keep it kind of simple to jewelry and maybe the occasional shirts and whatnot? Yeah, I think just keep it simple for now. I think simple is key. We've always like thrived from being simple and, um, you know, next year we're coming out with these charm bracelets where you can like attach different charms and take different charms off of the bracelet. So I think that's like super fun. You could just buy a single, like one bracelet and then buy a ton of different charms or buy different charms. So I think that would be like a fun experience and like cool for customers to be able to participate in. Yeah. I was thinking of like almost a build a bear style, but for like kids to build them. Cause you know, not yet your daughter's yeah. so young, but my three-year-old at school, you know, they'll build you little things or make you little like noodle bracelets or whatnot. But it'd be cool for them to be able to customize one of these and be able to be like, Hey dad, look what I made and something you can yeah. wear forever. That's how it's going to be. So it'd be sweet. I uh, can't wait to check it out. So now I wanted to ask you just like selfishly a little bit, but um, as you guys have scaled the business, right? You guys have been able to grow it, you know, astronomically. Like, what advice would you say for somebody like myself that's maybe, you know, starting something like this, like a podcast, or you know, obviously you guys have been great at social. So, I'm just curious how you would approach something if you were to do a podcast for maybe Pure Vita, but um, knowing what I'm trying to create. Yeah, I think like in the beginning, it seems really daunting if you think about like, oh, I need to get to doing a hundred million in sales or I don't know, a million downloads on your podcast. I think that seems really daunting. Just focus on like the small things and, and tackle tasks each day that are going to push you forward. You know, the small, like little changes that you do and small tweaks, they all add up and build and compound over time. Um, so I think that's what we really focused on in the beginning was, you know, every day we would have a task list and we would just go down that list and bang things off the list and keep going the next day. And as long as you're enjoying it every day, then it's not going to feel like work. And you're going to look back in two years, in three years, four years, and be like, damn, I, I really built this business and I accomplished a lot. So I think that's what some entrepreneurs get, get lost and they get overwhelmed and then they don't even start. That's the tough part, right? Not even starting, I think, for so many mm -hmm. people. There's lots of good ideas out there, but uh, the fear of the unknown is scary. And some people just yeah. aren't willing to take the leap. Yeah. And like putting yourself out there, you know, in the beginning, like we weren't afraid to put ourselves out there. And the amount of people that said, like, this is a stupid idea, like you're going to sell string bracelets. And we just like didn't really listen to them. We're like, yeah, we're going to sell string bracelets. It is what it is. We, we're having fun. So I think not really listening to the haters. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm sure those people that were haters back then and now it's like, okay, you guys have been uber successful. And what I think it was like $75 million as far as what I read um, from what the recent sale was. Is that right? Yeah, we actually, we sold um, for $130 million. Um, wow. So the initial kind of payout was $75 million and then um, the rest were on like an earn out in the next two years. Dude, congratulations, man. That is... Damn impressive. Crazy. Yes. Crazy. But what I was going to go off of with that is like, okay, from $100 to, you know, $130 million, along that way, I'm sure people were laughing and saying, you're crazy, you're stupid, why would you do this? And now they're probably like, those guys are so lucky. Like, yeah. they timed it so lucky. They had the right network. You know, it was before influencer marketing. But, you know, I think people always use that as an excuse for why they couldn't accomplish such great feats. How do you, you know, think about those individuals or do you hear that often? Yeah, I mean, I think like 
I know the hard work that we put in and the struggles that we went through, you know, we've been through lawsuits, we've been through employees, we've been through a ton of different issues that we've had to deal with along the way. So at the end of the day, if you're putting in the hard work and you're, you're working on something eight to 10 hours a day, like you're going to make progress. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's what we're doing, you know, till this day, we just worked every single day and, you know, we were 20, 21 when we started and I was going to the office every single day and it was, I just treated it like a job. Um, but I was having fun at that job and that's why I think, you know, we're successful today. I think overall, the theme I keep hearing from you is you guys just pretty much keep it simple. Like from the ideas at the beginning to how you started to scale the business, like it wasn't overcomplicating things. Put a task, execute and go again. Right. And just do it every single day. But do it with the emphasis of, you know, you enjoy this. Like you actually care about the business and you love what you're doing. And I think it's about the culture that you talked about when you do it with people like your best friend that you love and you care about, too. It just makes it even more impactful. Yeah. I, I think like I've always focused on just solving problems and like, I'm really good at when there's a problem, I want to solve it. So this just look, was like a big challenge to me. It was like a big puzzle. And like, how do you complete that puzzle and, and figure out all the pieces? Yeah. So what's the next puzzle? You've probably accumulated more wealth than you intended when you started out with this thing. So anything like post Pura Vida or now it's just, hey, you've got, uh, you know, family life at home. Like, let's focus on yeah, that. Yeah, I got to figure out how to raise a child. Yeah. I think that's my next my next challenge right now. Um, been focused on that and how do you raise a child who's going to be a good person? Man, that is the ultimate success of a parent, right? Is Are they a good human being? And it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the, the early stages. She can't even really talk. So it's easy at this point. But yeah, it's it, that's that's something I think about all, all the time. It's like, how do you make sure they're a good person and they're fulfilled in their life? Yeah. Well, I, my, you know, unsolicited advice, but I just finished uh, reading this book called Parent Nation. And uh, she had also wrote a book. Um, called 30 million words but she talks about dr dana suskin it's tune in talk more and take turns like these are the three t's and i can't stop telling my friends or like you know other parents that i encounter about just how important that rich language is and just going back and forth like even right now like when they can't talk and you think you know what's the point of trying to have a convo with them like do it because it's going yeah. to pay off in the long run. And they talk about the you know different amount of words and how just the quality of the words and the content that you guys are speaking, how that's really going to help you know brain develop you know build their brain with the neuroplasticity and all these new neurons and neural connections. And you know it's just doing the basics. But that's my advice to you while you're right now uh, going through it. I know we talked about reading books last time, but uh, yeah, keep reading them. I I came home from that golf round and I'm like. Babe, we got to read 10 books a night. We're only reading one. <laughs> like we got to do 10 a night. And so, yeah, yeah we read to her now like nonstop. What's the favorite yeah. book in the household now? Does she have one yet? Uh, she actually, so someone got us a present. We have a golden retriever mm. and you can order a book and basically it's like you tell them what dog you have and it's like the same story, but they just replace the, the main character as like your dog. Um, so it's like Levi's adventure and it's basically levi who's our dog going through this adventure and you take the book out and like literally she goes crazy for it she's like so excited to read it oh that's cool i'm gonna have to yeah. look into that it sounds like a good gift it's a good gift it's really good yeah 
So what about topics? Now you say that, like, thank you so much for, you know, coming on today and like sharing your story. I definitely know it's one that's going to help, you know, inspire others. And, you know, that's what I wanted to chat about is, you know, how did you get to where you're at? But how can I add value to you? Like any topics, any parenting that you want to learn more about? Because, you know, I probably can't offer much more than, you know, some parental advice, but anything that I should go try to find a guest that help you. Um, that's a good question. I would say, yeah, I mean, I, the, the book topic was great. I, I took that advice. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I got to think about that one. Well, if you have any come to mind, let me know because I'm definitely indebted to you for coming on, man. It's been so good just to chat and catch up. I know I'm looking forward to our next round and hopefully seeing you guys again in San Diego very soon. But you know, I just wanted to say thanks for coming on. And I guess as we depart, uh, any parental advice that you might share with either the listeners or maybe more important, you know, what's the thing that you want to pass down to your future kids? Yeah, I think something for me is just like the hard, hard work and like how do you instill hard work in your in your kid? And I think that's just all by example. So we continue to be a good person, continue to work hard and continue to show them, you know, how you do it. And I think that's going to be passed down to your to your kids in the next generation. Ah, very well said, my friend. And Romy, right? Romy, yeah. I got to know the backstory again. All right. So we were we were going to Rome for a trip. Um, and you know, we had a, a hard first, first try at getting pregnant. Um, and this was kind of, you know, six months or seven months into our journey. Um, and we're getting ready to go to Rome for just like a, you know, 10 day trip to Europe and, um, literally like an hour before we go to the, go to the airport, Sarah didn't tell me, but she comes out of the, out of the bathroom and had just taken a pregnancy test and was like pregnant. And it was like this awesome, awesome moment right before we get on, get on a plane to go to this incredible trip that we planned and get to Rome. And I'm like, what if we name her to Rome? And so it's like, oh, what if it's, you know, it probably, or we didn't know if it was a girl yet. So we were like, okay, Rome for a guy, Romy for a girl. Mm. And then once we found out that it was a girl, we're like, this is, this is so fitting. You know, it's just like this magical moment that we had together traveling Europe and in Rome. So picked Romy. Very cool, man. I can't wait for you guys to have the family trips to Rome and she can, you know, experience it herself and where the name originates. Yeah. yeah. So that was super fun. Oh, uh, well, again, thank you so much. Like, it's so fun to see your success. I've been mostly doing it from afar, but it feels cool to get to know you a little bit more nowadays. And it couldn't happen to a better person, man. You are uh, very humble, very generous with your time, but uh, I'm sure you're going to pass down that uh, be a good person to her and if you're fortunate enough to have any others. So, again, thank you, brother. Really appreciate it. And I hope you all enjoyed. See you later, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Hi, right, dude. And that's a wrap for episode number 11 talk about an incredible story and to have seen it come from two fellow STSU grads, something that's been really fun to watch. I remember rocking one of their orange bracelets during the Giants World Series victories and to watch this brand grow from those early days to getting acquired by Vera Bradley, man, nothing short of amazing. So I hope you all really enjoyed hearing his story and for more on Paul, go check out his Instagram and LinkedIn at Paul Goodman. And please, do yourself a favor. Go visit PuraVitaBracelets.com. I mean, what better time than the holidays to give the gift of Pura Vita to a friend or a loved one? So as always, if you like the show, it would fire me up for you to share this with your favorite father or parent. 
hit the subscribe button, and please leave a comment to tell me what you thought. And if you want more content from me, follow along on Instagram at BDoosCo. So thanks again for tuning in. Now go be great and go fit foe some shit out.